We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Jeff Goodman here with another edition of the Good and Plenty podcast, and uh, this one is a little bit different. I've tried to mix it up throughout the offseason, throughout the pandemic, uh, and we're going to touch on a little bit of the Zion Williamson-Gina Ford case, and we've got uh, two people who have been heavily involved in this from a legal perspective. Uh, We'll start with Daniel Wallach, legal analyst uh, for The Athletic, uh, does a lot of other things as well, and... um, We've also got Dan Lust, uh, who deals with sports law. And these guys also do a podcast called uh, Conduct Detrimental, which is very good. And you guys have worked together uh, here for a while. Give me a little more background on the two of you. And, and again, why you guys are covering this Zion case so closely. Okay. Well, I guess I'll I'll kick things off. I mean, I was an appellate lawyer and a federal court litigator for most of my career. It wasn't until after the age of 50 that I was sort of pointed in the direction of sports law. And then a couple of cases came across my radar that I began writing about, you know, which was legalization of sports betting. I followed that case very closely and and started to write uh, extensively uh, for a sports law audience. And I began to pick that up in other cases like Deflategate and eventually uh, I pivoted from uh, being a commercial litigator for a large law firm to now having my own practice focused in, almost entirely on sports wagering and gambling law. And I do a lot of this sports law stuff uh, sort of as a hobby. So that's what ultimately led me to cover the Zion Williamson case, because my background as a litigator, it's part of my toolbox to try to explain these complicated legal proceedings to a general audience. And the Williamson case is the perfect vehicle because it's filled with a lot of legalese, complexity, uh, procedural jockeying. So I think what I try to do is make that understandable to a mainstream audience. All right, well, we'll we'll get to that in a minute here of of kind of, uh, if you can explain it to me and dumb it down for me, uh, then you can dumb it down for anybody. So I can't wait to hear, you know, kind of where this Zion case stands and, I'll go through some of the background, the, the, the basics of it. But, uh, Dan, your, your background um, is in sports law, right? Or, or recently it's been in sports law, I know. Um, I, I feel bad. I know you went to Fordham Law School, so I, I do feel bad for you that you are a uh, Fordham Ram uh, right now with what's, what's going on with that basketball program. 
So a little bit about myself, kind of, um, you know, uh, similar to Dan, uh, actually started with the New York Giants while I was in college. I was with them for four years during their Super Bowl run. Um, when I went to law school, still working for the Giants, I said, uh, I'm either going to end up uh, the next Jerry Maguire or I'll be the next Clarence Darrow and I'll be a trial attorney. Uh, and uh, I went on this trial attorney route. Uh, you know, during during law school, I worked for baseball agencies. I worked in baseball arbitration uh, for, for uh, several teams, Cincinnati Reds, Oakland Athletics. Uh, and then, um, you know, I just went on this trial attorney path, but uh, all the while staying active on Twitter. Dan and I met some back some point back in 2014, 2015, uh, when I was president uh, or at least outgoing president of the Fordham Sports Law Forum. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I just started writing a lot. I started going on the radio, analyzing sports law. And when it comes to the Zion case, um, you know, Dan, Dan is uh, in the weeds, we'll say, and we'll, we'll try to stay out of the weeds uh, for this. But Dan is very deep in the weeds in the Zion case. And when it came across my radar, you know, it's really the Twitterverse. Um, uh, something that one of my pet peeves in the law, the, the law is last I checked is not guilty until proven innocent. Um, but people were convicting Zion on this court of public opinion for something as simple in, you know, litigation. We know these as uh, requests for admission and notice to admit. That's one attorney serving a request and asking someone a question. Uh, and the question that was asked was obviously loaded. Uh, did Zion accept benefits to attend Duke? Asking a question means absolutely nothing in the law. Um, answering the question and admitting it does. So I, I decided to step in uh, and, uh, you know, we'll say calm down uh, the Twitter trolls and the guys with the pitchforks and just say, let's hold our horses. So that's when I jumped in with the Zion thing. But, uh, you know, Dan and I have had some fun with it covering on the podcast the last couple episodes. Actually, I thought it brought us together a little bit quicker because I brought you on as a guest to discuss the Zion Williamson case. And you were so good. I gave you, you know, I said, let's do this again on another episode. And that worked out so well. And then we, I, I decided, let's make this a team. So the Zion Williamson case, no matter who wins or loses, I can tell you that the ultimate winners are conduct detrimental because now we really have a podcast that's ready to go to the next level. Or, no, people, I, I, named, I or people named Dan in general. I think those are the real winners of this. Daniel, Dan, whatever you want to call yourselves. It's, it, it's worked out. It's a good team. Uh, and I think, you know, the other part is you guys can cover. There's so much uh, that, that, that's going on in the sports world that uh, we need your, your insight, your, your opinions um, to try to, again, figure out, exactly, you know, we'll, we'll try to hit on the NIL here later in this podcast if we have time. Certainly, mm -hmm. you know, you've got smaller things that I'm interested in. Under Armour uh, trying to sever ties right now with UCLA uh, and Cal out west. Um, you know, Kansas fighting the NCAA right now, Bill Self's attorney. There, there's so much. and But let, let's start with Zion and give people kind of the overall. And, and the overall is Zion Williamson's family uh, signs a deal with a woman named Gina Ford uh, late in his, well, I guess after his season ends, his freshman season ends at Duke officially to negotiate a, a marketing deal. I don't know why he would have done this with a small-time marketing firm, but he did. <laughs> a month later, he severs ties and signs with a heavyweight, which is what I thought he was going to do all along, CAA. It makes sense, right? Well, uh, Zion's family, and I put this mostly on Zion's family because I don't think Zion had anything in the world to do with these decisions. Uh, his mother and father, stepfather, have made decisions for him financially, most of his life, uh, and, and even simple things as such as I was covering the McDonald's game years ago uh, at ESPN, and he got hurt with like a thumb injury, and they shut everything down, like completely shut everything down. 
to where you can get any information, period. So I've kind of known the family from afar throughout all this. Um, so I'm not kind of surprised again. And Zion, I've said it time and time again, one of the best kids you will ever meet, period. I mean, super kid, high character, great at dealing with people, whether it's media, teammates, whatever. All right, so that, that's my aside. Uh, anyway, Zion's family sues to get out of this deal. Gina Fort, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, guys, because you know it better than I do, but Gina Fort sues in Florida to tr- for, for $100 million, uh, which seems like a lot of money, but when it comes to Zion and his marketing, probably uh, maybe accurate. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Zion's saying that the contract is void because she didn't register in North Carolina as an agent. Ford is now saying um, that none of this uh, should be valid because he received improper benefits. That's, that's what's really taking this to a new level now that he's, she, she's alleging he's taken improper, impermissible benefits while at Duke as a student athlete. Therefore, uh, he was playing basically illegally, not as a student athlete. Uh, am I wrong in, in the, the Cliff Notes version of everything that's gone on? Uh, no, I, I, think I think I'm going to record that, or I should record that, and use that in my spots going forward. Because whenever I go on the air, the host asks me to distill this year-long battle into like you know a minute or less, and you just did it. So uh, you handled it perfectly. But you know, you mentioned the involvement of Zion's family or his parents. In every aspect of his career, you would think they would have the savvy to at least have hired a lawyer to look over this contract that Gina Ford presented to him in, uh, I think it was April of 2019. It's a horrendous deal. for All of the leverage that Williamson has, he is the most marketable athlete coming out of college sports since, I don't know, maybe Michael Jordan. Yeah. And he could have had agents lined up around the block. Uh, yet the contract that he signed with Ford has absolutely no ability to terminate it other than for cause. It's essentially a perpetual career long uh, marketing agreement that guarantees Gina Ford 15% of Zion Williamson's off the court earnings, regardless of whether she introduced it or not. So if you, if you, if you look at his marketing potential, we're talking about a billion plus dollars over a 15 year career. So if, if, if her percentage or her cut of that is 15%, you kind of see where she gets her $1 million, $100 million damage calculation. Yep. Uh, but so no just, lawyer yeah. in his right mind would have allowed his client to sign a lifetime contract considering the disparity in the leverage. She was a small fry. He was the greatest, you know, catch of them all. He could have dictated the terms. And, and, and pretty much that's where you see the absence of legal representation causing all this great harm to the athlete. And now look where he is, because if he had never signed that deal, there would never be any Zion Williamson versus Gina Ford case uh, because no lawyer would have allowed him to sign it. So just, just kind of echoing that, um, you know, we're, we're kind of hinting how much leverage that Zion had in this case. Um, the reason you've never heard of Gina Ford before is because she, she's not been involved in the basketball world before. Um, we've heard of Usain Bolt. He's a very big name, but someone taking their first leap into this pond of, college basketball or pro basketball um, has very little leverage. And you'd think that in that case, Zion, and just in terms of negotiating power, would be able to get a very favorable deal, almost like, you know, one of these prove it type deals. I know different contexts, but that's what Cam Newton's doing in, in New England. He's getting a prove it deal, prove your worth. Maybe it's a short term deal. Um, but to, to Dan's point, 
this is almost a deal as if Gina Ford was the Zion Williamson of the agent world. Uh, and just not something commensurate is what you would see, you would expect to see. So, uh, again, that's why we're here. Um, and that's why, uh, hopefully, Dan, I think we consider ourselves good lawyers. So if we were in the situation, uh, we, we wouldn't have happened. No, I think but, even a bad lawyer would have recommended not well, to sign that deal. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> but but, but I, th- I think what, what Gina Ford did here to succeed and, and basically preempt CAA was she got in early. She, she ingratiated, ingratiated herself with Zion's mother and his stepfather as far back as January of 2019. Now, under this North Carolina law, which is called the Uniform Athlete Agents Act, if you're going to solicit or recruit a student athlete directly or indirectly, and the parents are obviously indirectly, you need to be registered. And over 200 individuals have gone to the trouble of registering as an athlete agent with the state of North Carolina. You know who's one of them? Uh, Leon Rose. I mean, all the agents in the industry that want to do business with Duke athletes, they register with the North Carolina Secretary of State. It is a ministerial requirement. You pay $200. And I think the application form is like five pages. You could do it in your sleep. Uh, The problem is, while it's a ministerial requirement, the uh, downside to noncompliance is that under the state statute, the contract is null and void if you've engaged in any acts that are prohibited by the UAAA while unregistered. And the acts that are prohibited for an unregistered agent are entering into a contract, recruiting or soliciting a, uh, an athlete. And these text messages that uh, Gina, for, I'm sorry, that Zion Williamson uh, it, uh, attached to the federal court case show the timeline of communications going back months before Williamson declared for the NBA draft, while he was undoubtedly still participating in Duke basketball games and therefore was a student athlete. So in order to blow up his case, so to speak, uh, Gina Ford needs to try to nullify Williamson's status as a student athlete. And the only way that she has to, to accomplish that is by saying that he was, he was ineligible from the very moment he arrived at Duke because he was paid to play there. And, and the question is, uh, does that rise to the level of being relevant in the context of this litigation? Does student-athlete status uh, depend solely on eligibility? And Zion's William, Zion Williamson's lawyers will point out that the statute in North Carolina defines student-athlete very broadly as also including uh, a, a, an athlete who participates or engages in college basketball. So simply by virtue of the fact that he played the games – makes him a student athlete untethered from his eligibility. All right. So the big question, everybody, myself included, wants to know is, is Zion ever going to take the stand, right? Is he going to take the stand and have to answer these questions of, were you paid? I, I say, guys, and, and I know this isn't what you're here for to speculate. Um, oh, we do it all the time. All Are right. Good, good, good. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, when people ask me, which they do all the time, I say, listen, Coach K, I don't feel like Coach K, there was any way in hell in the middle of a federal investigation with every college basketball coach having uh, the spotlight on them that he was paying Zion Williamson. He's not that dumb. And you don't have to these days, okay? Most college coaches are not paying these kids directly. They're allowing financial guys and agents to do that, and they're turning a blind eye. Now, to me, and I'll say this, and I have, listen, Coach K knew he was, he was 
you know, living, the family was living in a, in a, in a plush house, whether it was, it was worth seven fifty or nine fifty, whatever it was, and whatever the family was paying per month, whether it was 5,000, 4,000, whatever it was, um, Durham, North Carolina is a small place. He knew where they were living. He knew that uh, they were getting something from somebody. But I don't think it's ever going to get to a point where Zion Williamson's going to go on the stand one day and say, yes, Coach K took care. No, that's not going to happen. There's no way in hell that's going to happen, guys. But do I think some agent, some financial guy was taking care of Zion Williamson's family? Yeah, probably, probably. And, and, and again, that's probably going to be legal uh, in a couple of years here with the NIL. It wasn't legal uh, when this all occurred. So my, my question to you is, how likely is it that we ever see Zion Williamson or his family, his mother or, or godfather on the stand, stepfather on the stand, having to answer questions about um, whether they were paid uh, whether Kay knew anything about what was going on, where they got the money to be able to afford uh, to live in, in, a, in a house like they were in Durham. So I'll try to give a, a high level of it. The one part that, um, you know, wasn't in the kind of brief synopsis you put at the beginning. Yep. Um, this, this part, I, I will try not to get too far in the weeds, but of course, if you're on Twitter, you're following us, you saw that there was a stay that was issued at, at some point in time recently. So, Again, it started with the North Carolina case filed by Zion's family to get out of the contract. Gina Ford then filed a separate lawsuit of breach of contract in Florida. So just in the law, just as a general concept, um, the easiest way to explain this, the O.J. Simpson case didn't have the criminal case and the civil case going at the same time. One happened and then the other one happened. Um, and, you know, the, here these are two civil cases, but the law doesn't want two cases going at the same time that have essentially the same issues involved. Um, could these cases be consolidated at some point in time? Sure. They just, it just hasn't been the actual mechanism. So uh, Zion, because he filed first, and there's a number of legal reasons which we can get down in the weeds, but he was able to stay that Florida case with respect to himself. So Gina Ford said, well, is the case stayed with respect to CAA or is it only stayed with respect to Zion? So the reason I, I bring that up, um, the judge in, in Florida, this appeals court said, or that the, the trial court said that the case is not stayed with respect to CAA. So now where does that kind of leave us? Um, you know, Coach K could be, you know, brought in as a non-party witness uh, in the CAA case. He could be brought in as a, as a witness in the North Carolina case. So, you know, Coach K and Duke have to really kind of watch out in two venues at the same time. Meanwhile, Zion, because this day, is just watching out North Carolina. Yeah. Um, now, to the question of how likely is it that they'll go to a, a deposition, uh, you know, you kind of just have to ask yourself, um, really on a high level, does Gina Ford have enough at this point in the case to warrant and avail herself to further discovery? Um, you know, really, maybe it was a week or two at the point uh, ago at this point, Zion made a motion, what's called for judgment on the pleadings. Uh, and at that point, he's basically telling a court, there's not enough here for this case to continue on. Um, I should win on the pleadings, throw this case out, judge. Uh, and really in the law, that's your time. If you are defending against that type of motion to show the smoking gun, to put that on the table. Here's what I have. I have this, I have that, that. Trust me, I have enough to continue on. You don't have to give the whole thing, but just sure. enough of a piece of the pie. So what did Gina Ford really do? Uh, this is when Dan and I had a lot of fun on our podcast. Um, yeah. She cites Wikipedia articles. She cites Zillow, how expensive the house was. You know, she said to North Carolina, uh, you know, the Tar Heels fan page. 
I mean, these aren't really reliable sources of information. You don't but, think? You know, Wait, come on, really? Wikipedia is not reliable? You know, I, I don't think she's aware that probably she could have edited that Wikipedia page. Um, but, you know, substantively, there, there was some, uh, I'll say there's, maybe Dan and I will disagree on this. Um, there was a conversation that she recorded. It's not independent evidence. It's not new evidence. But as, as many will know from the college basketball fraud investigation, a Kansas coach was recorded on tape uh, speaking to someone and saying that Zion's dad asked for a six-figure payment to attend Kansas. Separately, there's a transcript from a separate case where, uh, whereby you know someone from Nike was saying that he could cripple Adidas by paying Zion a certain amount of money. Yeah. So she's pointing and saying essentially, again, legal, non-legal, when there's smoke, there's fire, and we should be we, we should have the opportunity to investigate that smoke and see what's in there. So in the right, and and I guess just you know just wrapping up quickly. In the law, you are not allowed, maybe if you have smoke, um, you, you can, and maybe that makes sense out of law to go into the fire, but you're not allowed to have these impermissible fishing expeditions and just kind of looking for breadcrumbs and going on a witch hunt. You're not allowed to do that. You have to have enough of a predicate to warrant depositions, warrant discovery. So that's really what's pending now uh, in North Carolina. The answer to that question is whether Gina really actually has enough to even go forward. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Dan. She has three what I consider almost insuperable barriers to being able to proceed with discovery here. I think it's unlikely that Williamson will go under oath about the pay-to-pay allegations. There's a possibility, though, that he could be uh, deposed about the contractual issues relating to his relationship with Gina Ford. But the three barriers that stand in her way right now are, number one, uh, Williamson has filed a motion for partial judgment on the pleadings to have the case um, resolved in his favor right now. That case has been, that, that motion is fully briefed and is already in front of Judge, um, uh, I forget the name of the North Carolina federal judge, but that's ready for decision. And in that motion, which I think is very meritorious, uh, Williamson's attorneys point to the fact that the student athlete definition under the North Carolina law is so broad that it encompasses uh, anyone who engages in intercollegiate sports and all these text messages and all these accusations of pay to play don't meet the standard of relevance that is necessary to, to take depositions on that issue. Because even if it were true, his participation in the games vests him with the student athlete status, regardless of where these breadcrumbs lead on pay to play. So even if all that information were true, it does not nullify his status as a student athlete under North Carolina law. And I think the judge is going to enter partial judgment in Williamson's favor at some point in July. And, and that will pretty much dispose of the case. Look, there are no 100% guarantees in the law uh, because you know, judges by nature might be very cautious and would want to afford a party some opportunity for discovery. But even if, even if Gina Ford overcomes this motion, she still has to fight off a motion for a protective order that Williamson's attorneys and maybe Coach K's attorneys at some point are likely to file to challenge the relevance of the allegations that Williamson accepted money to, pay, to, to play at Duke. The essence of this lawsuit isn't about uh, whether he received money to go to Duke. It's about the relationship between Ford and Williamson and the circumstances that existed at the time that they entered into their relationship. And these matters that date back a year before they ever met are irrelevant to the litigation. So I think, number one, she has to overcome this motion for judgment. Number two, she has to avoid or at least prevail on a, on a motion for protective order. And I think that's unlikely 
based upon how North Carolina law is defined. And number three, um, there are these federal court procedures that are in place that prevent parties from immediately hitting the ground to take depositions. You need to have an agreement on, on a discovery schedule. The court has to hold an initial case management conference, and then the court issues a scheduling order. None of those events has occurred yet. We are probably a minimum of two months away from the first deposition being taken in the case. And you, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can bet your last dollar on the fact that Williamson's attorneys are going to move for, for a complete stay of discovery until this motion for partial judgment on the pleadings is resolved. So she's got a lot of gauntlets to run here. And I think the facts and the law are significantly on Williamson's side, at least based upon what we've learned so far. When most people try to lose weight, they think exercise. Whether they actually start exercising or not, the results are normally the same either way. I say the same because losing weight is all about nutrition. With Awaken 180 Weight Loss, you'll receive a customized nutrition plan, weekly one-on-one coaching, and the option to receive 80% of your daily foods to help you lose weight your first week and each week after until you're down to your ideal weight. During your weight loss transformation, you'll be getting the tools to know what and how to eat so you can keep that weight off for the long term. As always, Awaken 180 will provide you free support for life. It's worked for Cedric Maxwell, Scott Zolak, Kyle Draper, Andy Gresh, and thousands of others. Now it's your turn. Call the long-term solution for weight loss in the official weight loass program of the Boston Red Sox. Awaken 180 weight loss online. And she's got to probably hire a better lawyer because her, her lawyer what sends a subpoena to to a dentist in uh, South Bend. Uh, yeah, instead yeah. of the NCAA, that I mean, come yeah. on, really? So, they, so we're they, citing not... we're citing Wikipedia, we're citing yeah. Zillow, uh, <laughs> and now we're serving a uh, evil dentist. I've not ruled well, out the fact that the dentist could be evil, though. Let's let's uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jeff, federal court is a completely different ball game. It's it's you, you have to be able to uh, effectively write. And it's different than state court where you can kind of run and gun, you know, almost like, you know, Jerry Tarkanian style and everything is, everything is, uh, you know, at the hearing, you present your best argument. No, 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 no. You got to show your cards in writing. And I'm not saying the best writing always wins, but, but I think Zion's lawyers at Wild Gotchel and Manjus, Manj- in, in full disclosure, I worked for that firm 30 years ago. They are a significant cut above the caliber of lawyering on Gina Ford's side. I mean, Willie Gary is a nationally renowned trial lawyer, but he's not a federal court litigator. And until the jury is convened and until you place your hand on the Bible, this battle is being played out of court on the papers in high level, sophisticated motion practice. And and this is almost like, uh, you know, while Gotchel against Willie Gary is the legal equivalent of Duke university playing Stony Brook. Uh, Gino Ford so, is going to like that one. So and I, that's I just, the truth. That's the truth. But, they don't even they, they, their caliber of papers in federal court have been woefully deficient. Uh, they don't comply with the federal court rules about making your documents text searchable. I know I'm quibbling, yep. but as somebody who's been in the federal courts for for my entire career, it, it's like the the definition of of of, of uh, obscenity. You know, in the Supreme Court, I know it when I see it. And I know high caliber papers when I see it. And I know kind of schlocky stuff when I see it. And and if Gina Ford's lawyers are listening, you know, so be it. I don't care. I mean, this is a podcast and we're, we're kind of coming out with our, with our real unvarnished opinions. But I think the caliber of lawyering, the facts and the law are decidedly 
on Williamson's side. And when you look at the, the, the backgrounds and how this relationship was entered into, it raises a lot of questions. It really does. It doesn't seem uh, in, like it would be in the ordinary course for, a, for an agent like that with hardly any footprint in pro basketball to land, uh, you know, the whale of a client that Zion Williamson is. But, and, and, but, but Daniel, okay, so we're talking about two totally different things here, right? I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement that there's no reason that Zion should have to answer whether he was paid um, by, by anybody, by, by an agent, by a financial guy, by Duke. Uh, that has no relevance to this case, right? We're all in agreement there for the most part, right? Uh, well, I understand uh, I, I, why I, she's arguing it, but so so I understand her argument. Uh, her argument on relevance is that, and this is you know we'll try to stay out of the weeds yeah. so much, but essentially, if Zion is allowed to dunk a basketball during a Duke game, that's the only evidence that you need to show that he's a student athlete. What Gina Ford is arguing is that this conversation as to whether benefits occurred before his time at Duke, that that will somehow retroactively divest him of student athlete status. That's the argument. You can you could buy it. You might yeah, not. But that's, I just, that's her argument. I don't think it's ultimately. I think it. And again, obviously, I have no legal background. But but to me, the the question should be more about the deal itself, right? The right. deal that was signed and whether that is valid. All the other shit is shit. It's it's bullshit to me that has nothing to do with the actual deal that was signed that April or whatever it was when he finished playing at Duke. And you mentioned something, Daniel, early. You said, you know, these text messages going back to all the way back to, to January of, of, of that year. That's actually not that far back. Most players that are playing college basketball that are at the highest level, their families have already started dealing, especially at the level of Zion. They're done by the time they get to Duke. A lot of them already have agents. Now, now it's not out there legally but they've already decided who they're going with. So I'm actually surprised that Gina Ford, if she actually did start correspondence um, with, with the family in January, like would have gotten Zion. That's way late in the game to me. That's not early. That's late in the game to be able to, to secure somebody of Zion Williamson's, Williamson's stature for a marketing deal. It just baffles me uh, why they would have signed with, with, with Gina Ford. It just makes no sense. So for you, Jeff, there's a, an Anchorman quote I think applies to you. You're not even mad. You're just impressed by this whole thing, how late, how late in the game they came in here. Yeah, like what did they do? What was the leverage that Gina Ford really had? Did she have something on the family to be able to get this deal? Because as you said earlier, you said the, the deal was so god-awful, right? It was 15% up everything everything for the lifetime of the deal. To me, the only way I would have done the deal if I was the parents is if it was far lower than CAA or the other, the other big boy companies and you got like 1%, right? If they came in with 1%, you're saying to yourself, all right, if we're going to really make out in this deal, as opposed to all the big boys, I might do this deal, but I'm certainly not doing it at 15%. That puts my radar up as to what else was going on here. What else does Gina Ford potentially have on this family that they did this deal. Listen, I, we can't speak to that, but luckily for Zion Williamson's sake, he has a North Carolina state statute. And this is really important. If the law is going to protect anybody here, uh, this law is designed to protect student athletes, not athlete agents. 
And if you're going to, uh, you know, seek, if you're going to try to nullify a college athlete status as a student athlete by, in every case, you can have an agent looking to, to defeat an argument in every case by saying, well, you never should have been eligible. You're really going to undermine the purpose of the statute because then in every case going forward, uh, athletes sues agent to get out of deal. Uh, agent says you took money to go, therefore you were never eligible. It would undermine the purpose of this statute, which is designed to protect student athletes from unregistered and or unscrupulous agents. So uh, when, when there are statutes on the book that are designed to protect a vulnerable class, I think the law will generally lean towards the protection of the uh, class that it was designed to protect and not look to protect uh, sort of the, the violator of the statute. So uh, Gina Ford is going to run into a very difficult public policy argument because the law is not called uh, the Athlete Agents Act. It's called the, you know, the, the, it, it's designed solely to protect students. So I don't know how she ends. I, I, don't, I don't think the day will ever come in this case where a jury is impaneled and Zion Williamson is under oath. This case is either going to be settled uh, because one party has leverage by virtue of the fact that either Williamson is on the verge of victory or he doesn't want to answer these questions under oath. But failing a settlement. I've this always case, felt that, right? I've always felt that. It, it, it potentially the only way it gets he never takes a stand or anything like that because at that point there will be a settlement uh, but but it, if but it I got think, to that point which you're saying it's not going to most i think likely. he's tasting victory already because yeah. look at the settlement value of this case if gina ford is basically going to be uh, uh you know persona non grata in nba circles yep. her need for a big takeaway in this case is even more acute than it was in the past she has no other NBA clients to fall back on. No one's going to sign with her again. So she needs to take away a big haul here. And if she has a contract that guarantees her 15% of an athlete that might be worth over a billion dollars in off-the-court income, I don't think 3 or $4 million makes this case go away. I think from her perspective and the fact that she's got to pay lawyers a contingent fee, I think the bottom line bare minimum is an eight-figure sum. And I don't think that's something that Williamson – uh, is comfortable paying, nor should he have to pay it. I'd say roll the dice, see what happens on this motion for judgment on the pleadings. And his point of no return in terms of having to make a, a real you know, gut-wrenching decision is before he goes under oath. I think before he goes under oath, he's playing with house money and he has nothing to lose. Dan, you, were, you agree just... with all this that there's very, very little chance that, that Zion loses this case? Or, are, are you in agreement so, that so he Dan, walks away? Dan, I... Dan and I agree on a lot of stuff. I think it's very different equation when it comes to Coach K and Duke and Zion. What does Zion really have to lose by testifying? He's already a pro, right? If he testifies and he says that I well, – Reputation. Just from, just from his reputation. But I think, guys, Jeff, Dan, I think we all know that college athletes are getting something somewhere, yeah. right? So yeah. at the end of the day, if the question is an eight-figure settlement, which is not a small chunk of change, $75 million, you know, if Zion just going to state the obvious, hey – uh, you know, when that Kansas coach was talking to my dad, that actually happened. When the Nike coach was trying to pay me, you know, to cripple Adidas, that actually happened. It's not going to shock anybody. So it's a question as to, you know, whether you put yourself in his shoes. Would you rather have eight figures in your pocket, $50 million, or tell everybody the obvious? So I, I, I'll disagree I think a little bit with Dan. if it gets to that, Dan, yes. I think if it got to that point, you're probably right. Now, the other, the other part of this, guys, is so – Will Zion and both of his parents, if it comes down to it, will they all have to take the stand and, 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 and be questioned? 
all, all three I, of them, correct? I would think so. Yeah, they're all necessary parties. They've all kind of interwoven themselves within there. Um, different question as to whether or not Coach K is, is sufficiently tied into this, but Zion's parents, just with the text messages, with the relationship with Gina Ford, those guys are, are very much interwoven in, in this case. So I don't think they can get out of it. Um, you know, again, I will uh, say, here, here's the deal. Zion, ultimately, because I've, I've done this with other kids before. There's a kid named Renardo Sidney, who was the number one player in the country 10 years ago and uh, kind of flamed out. And I had him on my podcast about a year ago. And family was from uh, Mississippi. Dad moved the family out to L.A. They were staying in a, a million-dollar mansion in L.A. He was 16 years old. And I asked him, I said, you know, you, you were staying in a, in a mansion. Like, didn't you ever ask your dad, you know, where you got all this money? He said, I was 16 years old. No, like, I, I didn't even think about it. I didn't care. That wasn't my job as, 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 as a kid to ask my dad where the money came from. And I think with Zion, it's going to be the same thing. If he ever goes on the stand, you know what the answers are going to be? I didn't know. And, and you know what? I don't think he'd be lying. Right, yeah. right. And then you, you're not going to pin him on that. And, I mean, also, too, just an example that everyone will know, LeBron James didn't do anything wrong when he got that souped-up Hummer when he was in high school. His mom took out double and triple mortgages, whatever she did. She didn't do anything wrong. So we're, we're leaving out the scenario where, you know, in theory, maybe this house just came from some proper means. I mean, we can't – obviously, as much as it, it might seem like, uh, you know, not reasonable, yeah. it's, nobody thought LeBron James wasn't getting paid, but that turned out to be the case. Look, if this, if, if this house came from a booster, if this mansion on the hill uh, resulted from a booster, that's an NCAA jurisdictional issue. It's not right. a, a private, federal, commercial matter between an agent and an athlete. I think that's beyond, and it likely is beyond, the sphere of what a, what a civil lawsuit should be about. That comes under the jurisdiction of the NCAA in, in enforcing their rules, or perhaps the Southern District of New York United States Attorney's Office. I wouldn't place that on the, on the shoulders of a marketing agent from North Miami to sort of crack the case on pay for play in college basketball. Uh, and and she, has, she has a real a practical problem in terms of proving her case. Uh, part, of her, uh, part of her evidence, so to speak, is relying on this out-of-court statement uh, made by the Kansas, you know, I guess a conversation between the Kansas assistant basketball coach and an Adidas or Nike representative. Well, in, in the Southern District case, Judge Lewis Kaplan didn't allow that in. He declared that to be inadmissible. And she won't be able to attach that kind of out-of-court squib of a statement that's not attached to a full transcript, that's not authenticated. She will not be able to prove her case in North Carolina because all of these coaches and sneaker representatives are beyond the subpoena power of the North Carolina federal court. So uh, Ford's attorneys are going to have to go on a barnstorming tour across the United States and have subpoenas issued and take depositions in places as far-reaching as, you know, Kansas, Arizona. And quite frankly, I don't think they have the coin for it because in all likelihood, they're working on a contingent fee basis. So good luck trying to prove this case in North Carolina because based upon the submissions that she's made to date, she's relying on internet sleuthing research and not any independent inquiry or investigation of her own. And she's going to have to prove it by bringing people within the subpoena powers of the North Carolina federal court. And I don't think she's going to be able to accomplish that. I'm, I'm checking your Wikipedia page, Dan, after we're done. I'm going to see how accurate it is. Um, <laughs> checking, right, you mean on. editing it. Moving on. That's right. That's right. <laughs> moving on. Uh, let's spend a little bit of time here. Obviously, the majority of the time I wanted to get you on Zion. And that was great. Um, really insightful in layman's terms for, for how you think this thing's going to play out where it's at. 
Uh, because I think a lot of people are thinking that Zion might have to get up there and admit he took money or something like that. And again, uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, I certainly don't think it's going to happen where he admits he took money from Duke because I don't think that ever occurred. I, I think yeah. that would be ridiculously stupid for Duke or any major program with the, the landscape of college basketball the way it's been in the last couple of years to be paying any kid directly. Uh, I think most of it is going through financial guys, through agents. Um, that's the way it's been for the last five, ten years, to be honest, within the industry. And, and I think a good a good part of the media uh, misapprehends the case. You know, they see these notices for admission and allegations that are in a lawsuit, and that's the headline. And without a legal background, um, you know, the reporters aren't really sensitive to issues of relevance, admissibility, federal rules of civil procedure. Anybody can make accusations, guys. Anybody can make accusations. You started yeah, with that's that. When, that's when they call on the Dans. They need us yeah. to translate the legalese. No, we I, live I, in a I world like of, Yeah, we live in a world of views and clicks and, and you know, the headlines, you know, really don't really te- don't tell the true story here because this is an issue of law and it's a question that's going to not take place in front of a jury or, or before a, a court reporter. It's going to be decided by a federal judge in a chamber in, in her judicial chambers in North Carolina. And that's going to be the end of it, I think. So, uh, you know, that, that's one of the reasons that Dan and I have found so much, uh, you know, I guess satisfaction in, in talking up this case because it's been so, I wouldn't say poorly reported. Educate. Not, yeah, you want to educate people not accurately reported as to what the true issues in play are. All right. We have, we have social distancing now, but Dan and I are doing the shake and bake thing right now. (laughs) There's no shortage of action going on in our exclusive partner bet online. Sports are slowly making its way back with the UFC, NASCAR and soccer leading the way. Bet online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Uh, We've also got NBA futures, Lakers plus 225, Clippers plus 300 bucks, plus 325. Those are the three favorites. No surprise there. Uh, Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, all the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, all right. One thing that is not going to go away is name image likeness. It's been the hot button topic um, in, in college sports uh, for the last year or so. Um, and, and it looks like Mark Emmert and the NCAA have succumbed to the pressure. Ultimately, they didn't want to do this. They didn't want to give uh, name image likeness to kids, but they felt like they had no choice. So Emmert's come out and said, there will be something we will announce something by January of 2021 because, frankly, the politicians had already got this thing into motion where there was no choice but for Emmer, but for the NCAA to do something for kids. Um, I felt like all along they're going to do it at a bare minimum, at the lowest level they can do it to still appeal and appease people. Uh, but now you've got the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, earlier this month signing a bill uh, in which uh, it looks like it's the third state that's done this, California, Colorado, but Florida's law is set to go into effect 18 months earlier than the other two. And and basically, um, they're forcing the NCAA's hand, aren't they? And they're saying, listen, whatever you do, if it's not enough, we're going to do more so you have no choice. Help me out again in layman's terms here. 
where everything's at, where you see it heading, because ultimately uh, the NCAA is going to be the ones that's going to have to make a decision here, aren't they? So uh, if you hear that noise, that's the sound of the clock ticking. Uh, tick, tick for the NCAA. They got to yep. figure this out. Yep. So I'll, Jeff, I'll try to do as good of a job as you did summarizing Zion in like 60 okay. seconds, but we'll okay. get it done. So um, California, everyone uh, was all excited when Governor uh, you know, Newsom signs into law. He goes on LeBron's show. Athletes can get paid. Well, you know, like Lee Corso says, not so fast, my friend. They set that all the way out in 2023. So the NCAA, they, they say they want to give them time to figure it out. Uh, meanwhile, all these different states are popping up around the country with not exactly what they're doing in California, different, you know, different machinations of the law. Like in New York, you're going to athletes are going to get a piece of the revenue of the school There's all different types of things. So the NCA says, guys, we heard you. We want to come up with a uniform system. So what happened really about six weeks ago, uh, the name, image and likeness committee gave their recommendations. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of boilerplate stuff. You know, they don't want athletes to look like pros. They want to, um, you know, protect certain things. And I think some of, some of the issues people took away, if you're a Nike school, uh, the quarterback can't be a Nike guy. Or the, the point guard can't be a Nike guy. The reasoning being, you know, perhaps you're, you don't want to compete for assets against your own school. Um, but that kind of leaves it open to an attack. Well, are you allowing your, your top guy to be an Adidas athlete when you're a Nike school? So no, they're not going to. They're not going right. to allow that either. They're not allowing they're not. conflicting uh, companies. So, so right. there right. are guardrails. It's what right. we're saying. So, a lot of guardrails. Right. So if we're kind of issue spotting, that's kind of chopping away at what athletes can do. They're not going to be making millions. And then they're saying uh, guardrails will be coming. So at some point between now and January 2021. So what I've kind of, you know, just on the radar, there's nothing stopping the NCAA from capping these earnings at some crazy number. Let's say it's $10,000 or $5,000. Um so these guardrails are starting to look something a lot like in the law that we would call an antitrust law, improper wage restriction. So that's why the NCA is reaching out to try to get antitrust exempt status, because the second they put a system in place, all of a sudden it's open up, opening itself up to antitrust challenge. And, um, you know, Jeff, I'll just leave you kind of with the breadcrumb. Uh, you know, this kind of happened years back with this college football association when there was a separate uh, a group of teams that tried to form a separate league to try to get different t- uh, TV deal rights. So the NCA said, if you guys have your own TV deals, you're not allowed to schedule games with us. Um, that looks a lot, again, like an antitrust law, something that's called an illegal group boycott. Um, the reason I bring it up in this context, the second California passed fair pay to play, Ohio State popped up, Wisconsin popped up. We're not scheduling games against you, California, because you're going to have an unfair advantage. You're going to get your athletes paid. So um, now, all of a sudden, California kind of moves out of the hot seat. And all of a sudden, it's Florida. July 2021 is when that's supposed to come into effect. So, um, you know, within the last year, we saw the NCAA threaten to not play California schools. You have to expect that's untapped for Florida schools. Yeah, and as a footnote, uh, Governor DeSantis is a former collegiate athlete. He was captain of the Yale baseball team. So I don't think there should have been any doubt yeah. over whether he was going to sign that piece of legislation into law. Uh, I, think, I, I think what the NCAA reacts to is pressure, uh, any significant seismic movement off of a longstanding position that the NCAA has ever held has been forced through the threat of litigation or legislation. Let's face it, but for these bills that have popped up in California, passed in California, Florida, and have surfaced in other states, I don't think the NCAA is having this conversation the way they're having it right now 
if it wasn't for, uh, I, I guess, the walls closing in legislatively, as well as the litigation that, you know, goes back to, um, you know, Ed O'Bannon. So the name, image, and likeness uh, dispute kind of traces back to the initiation of litigation by former UCLA star Ed O'Bannon. And this is a movement uh, that, that has been going on for, you know, close to a decade. And now it's culminating in the NCAA finally saying, well, we're going to do something voluntarily. Well, the only reason they're reacting to it is because of pressure brought upon them externally. And I think the pressure needs to be kept up. But from one vantage point, I understand the NCAA's concern because you're going to create disparate recruiting advantages across the country 100%. between the states that have NIL laws and the states that don't. I mean, if you're a big time, you know, prospective college, you know, basketball player or football player, well, aren't you going to aren't you going to go to a school that plays in California or Florida over one that's in Missouri or Michigan that don't have NIL laws? So it creates a competitive imbalance and it kind of undermines uh, what the NCAA is trying to accomplish with this, you know, notion of amateurism. So I see this ultimately heading to some, uh, hopefully, some kind of federal legislative approach that might be not as neutered or watered down as Marco Rubio's proposal, but actually provides meaningful economic benefits uh, to, cult, to, to student athletes that has some level of uniformity across the board and consistency without any arbitrary restrictions, caps, or limitations. How does that happen, guys? What, what's the steps that need to occur? Because, again, you've got like we've talked about, you know, California, Colorado, Florida, you got the NCAA trying to figure it out right now uh, by January. Who, who, who does that right now to kind of get it all under one umbrella? Congress is a cauldron right now. We have, we, we have an election year, uh, you know, all the controversy swirling around President Trump and how everything is so politicized. Even the wearing of a mask has become politicized. Uh, while, while NIL legislation on the federal level really shouldn't be that controversial, uh, I think it gets swept to the side for a while and we kind of march down this path of state-by-state legislation until at some point maybe there's a changing of the guard in the White House and things temper down a little bit uh, politically and with the, div- the great divide that exists in this country. Right now, we don't have the right kind of environment and circumstances, especially with COVID-19, to move forward expeditiously here federally. So you're, so that's, saying, that's, to me, you're saying to me you really think, and, and Dan, I'm wondering if you agree with that, that you're, you are going to have a bunch of, of states that are trying, whatever the NCAA puts out in January, that are going to try to uh, further it and push it, uh, push the envelope a little bit further, and they're going to be able to do that, and you're going to have, you know, everybody's going to get some, like every state, every, every school is going to have certain things from the NCAA, but others are going to be able to obviously have more, you know, whether it is a, a, a Florida or a Cal, you know, whatever, Florida, for example, if you go to school in Florida, you can get benefits that you're not able to get in, in Georgia. So for, for example, just cause I, you know, I wrote a, a long form article and I, I mean, at the end of the day, like New York, just, I mean, New York's not such a football, you know, football or basketball powerhouse, but they have a, a portion of their law that says uh, if whatever revenue the school makes, the athletes can get a piece of that pie. So that's not the case in, in California, for example. So um, I, I think to just if everyone's kind of watching the time frame, I think there's going to be a world because the NCAA has applied for antitrust exemption. I don't think they're going to get it. I don't, I don't think there's any reason to treat them like Major League Baseball and just give them this side status. 
um, when they've shown over the years that they haven't really, um, you know, been, been worthy of that. But um, let's say January comes, they put these laws into effect, these, these mandates across the NCA. They still have another, you know, six months for Florida's to come into effect. So I think there's a world where they just invite antitrust challenge, and you see that play out in the courts. And I think, Jeff, just kind of important to note, this is my, my take on it as a college basketball fan, college football fan. Um, you know, it's not so long ago where you had the top pick in the NBA draft uh, be, you know, a four-year starter at college. There's a, a version of this world, if the NCAA can think about it properly, where there is more money to be made in college. If you have a guy that can make $5 million a year as the big man on campus at UCLA instead right. of dropping – Look at Zion. Look at what right. Zion could have made. Honestly, right. he could have probably made more money through 100%. social media and everything that comes along with it and endorsements than, than he could have made – he makes in his first actual contract. Take, take the marketing deal out of the equation – once he gets to the pros, but his first actual contract in the NBA, he could make more money in college. There's a chance. A hundred, a hundred percent. And and then I think there's just kind of a, this weird dichotomy. I mean, there's no reason, at least when it comes to me, just as a reasonable person looking at this, if you're going to allow athletes, the ability to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, why on God's earth would you not give them an agent to maximize their profitability? But under the name, image, and likeness recommendations, no agents, nope, we can't do this. We're going to mess you up the sport. It doesn't really make sense. So, so who's going to make sure that I make the most money? My parents, who are not going to be trained professionals, the school, who, who doesn't have the right incentive, or me. I already have enough on my plate. So I, I think they really have to tweak this thing or else it's really going to look like wage discrimination. So that's a big thing for you. You're a proponent of let them have agents to navigate all of this so they can figure out how to maximize, whether it's their social media whether it's an endorsement with a company down the street from where they grew up or uh, the school that they go to. Right. I mean, Dan Dan can speak to this too. You legalize sports betting, all of a sudden, all these seedy characters go away. You legalize agents in the sport, all of a sudden it's out in the open. Why not allow these athletes, like California is what I've called an entrepreneurship license. You can just create new revenue channels that didn't exist. So why does the NCAA care so much if an athlete is, is making more money for the sport, incentivizing guys to stay four years? Obviously, those TV contracts, March Madness, are going to go up. So I, I don't understand why the NCAA is so averse to allowing just an uncapped earning. But I, I just keep seeing – they keep saying these words guardrails. We need to put guardrails in place. And that, again, you're looking at an antitrust challenge. That's clearly restricting someone's wages. Um, and if you're going to say they should be paid – why are you restricting it in such a, in such a harsh manner as, as everyone believes is coming? You know what the hard part is? The hardest part for me to try to figure out is the recruiting aspect of it, right? I, I understand they're trying to say, well, we, we don't want recruitments to be a, a, a pay deal. But ultimately, college coaches are going to figure that out. They're going to figure out, you know, if, if I'm recruiting you as a college coach, I'm going to say, hey, listen, when you get here, When you get here, we've already got this in place for this car dealership to give you a $100,000 deal, whether it's legal or illegal. And I guess, you know, that's my take on the guardrails. You could try to put them up all you want, but people are going to figure out ways like they have to navigate rules uh, for the last 50, 100 years. They're going to figure out new ways. So I wasn't originally in place of no guardrails. Now I am. Now I am. And just saying, you know what? Whatever they can get, they get. The market is going to correct itself eventually. It won't to start. People will overpay guys, right? Whether it's uh, a company, a car dealership, or 
uh, social media, whatever. They'll overpay at first in year one, and then they'll say to themselves, well, I'm not going to piss away money and not get a return. So I think it'll eventually uh, correct itself, but it may take a year or two. I, I tend to agree. I mean, I understand that that's the course correction, but at the end of the day, you're going to call these athletes. Um, I mean, I understand that the NCAA wants to say, let's not treat these athletes like pros, but if you allow them to get paid, I don't know what else you call that. So let this, let these companies make mistakes. Let them overpay. Let yep. the market figure itself out. I have, I have no problem with that. Yeah, I don't yeah. anymore either. I, I did, and I've, I've come a long way, and unfortunately I, I think a lot of people at the NCAA – they're going as far as they feel they have to do to save that organization. As much as anything else, I think Mark Emmert is worried about the future of the NCAA, and as well he should be, because if he doesn't do this, there's probably not going to be an NCAA uh, in 10 years. And even with him doing this, if he doesn't go far enough, there still may not be an NCAA in 10 years. I mean, the, the question is this. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence uh, four gigantic defections to the G League, and they're getting paid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. relative peanuts as to the pros, a couple hundred thousand here and there. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that this conversation is happening again at the same time. You know, RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball go over to Australia. So you're starting to see these floodgates start to open up. And again, tick, tick, tick. They got to figure this thing out sooner rather than later. Brandon Jennings started all that about 10 years ago, didn't he? Did. He did. I mean, he had no choice because he didn't, he didn't qualify academically to play at Arizona. These kids are actually going when they have the option to play at other schools. And I've said, listen, is college basketball going to take a hit missing Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green and uh, these other – yeah, Deshaun Nix is a really good player who's going to go to UCLA. Yeah, but it, it was fine without LeBron. So let, let's not get carried away. Um, you're still going to watch Duke no matter who's playing. You're still going to watch Kansas no matter who's playing. My bigger concern is why is Adam Silver doing this? Because if he wants to, he could pay 50 kids 200 grand apiece. If he wanted to, if he really truly believes that it's a better avenue to go to this, this new G League developmental program than it is to go to college. I don't think he's going to do that. I think we're going to see – you know, five to ten kids a year from now do this G League program, especially if Jalen Green gets drafted high and some of the other kids get drafted high. Ultimately, that's the biggest measure of success. Yeah, um, why would he buy I, the I, hand that feeds him? I mean, you know, there's, there's a tension or a line that you don't cross. I mean, the NBA currently has a, a free uh, developmental system called college basketball. That's right. Why would you screw that up? I don't get why Adam Silver is doing this because you're right. The marketing is much better. You already have Jalen Green coming in to your, and, and, and a lot of the NBA GMs called me right after that it happened with Jalen Green. And they were like, we don't want this. We much rather have a kid who's been in college for a year and already has, um, you know, the brand and, and he's much more ready then being in the G League developmental program, uh, we don't know. At that point, they were scared of who was going to coach it, who was going to run it. Um, they felt like it's much better to have a kid socially as well in college for a year um, than, than going to this G League developmental program where they're going to be around four or five other kids. They're not playing competitively all the time against other schools. So, I, listen, 
I don't how get it. How about academically? I mean, say what you want about whether these student athletes are attending classes, but uh, you don't want to deprive the opportunity of, of a four-year education, whether they choose to complete it or not is up to them. But just like with Hall of Fame candidates, the, profession, the, 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 the rate of success of making it in professional sports is, is abysmally low. Many are called, few are chosen. And if you're going to, if you're going to create a, an exodus, from big-time college basketball to a minor league system, you're going to be putting a lot of, you know, African-American men uh, into situations where they're neither playing professional ball at the end of the day or getting the right or getting a, a college education, which is essential to me being Jaylen able to Green. compete in the marketplace. Listen, Jalen Green's probably going to be fine. I mean, he's a terrific yeah. player. He'll probably make a ton of money in the NBA and never have to work when he's done. Isaiah Todd is another kid that we're not focusing on enough. He was set to go to Michigan, a uh, mm-hmm. really good academic school, set to play for Juwan Howard, a high-character guy who's obviously made a lot of money and been successful in the NBA. Instead, he goes to this G League pathway program, and to be honest, he might play a year in the NBA and bounce overseas for 10 years and come back here at the age of 32 and, and with no degree – you know, and, and, and again, you worry about those kids. I, I'm, I'm all for kids having opportunities, right? I'm all for it. Um, but I also feel like, there, yeah, there, there's value in education. And even if he goes for a year, right, even if he goes to Michigan for a year and leaves after a year, um, there's a benefit to that. Kevin Durant kept coming back to Texas. He only went for a year. He would come back every year. I don't know if he got his degree or not or how close he is, but he would come back every year and feel a bond to that school and go to class in the summers. So I think there's one kind of element, you know, the elephant in the room. I, I'm, you know, from Westchester, New York. I live very close to the Westchester Knicks G League facility. Um, it is not something you want to show the public. It is not anything close to resembling which Mark managed to be. Uh, and all of these G League cities are, are you know, just they're, they're not the bright lights of New York City. They're not the bright lights of Durham, North Carolina. So – uh, in addition to the type of education, you're not really playing big-time basketball games, and there certainly is a value to that. I mean, God knows how many people have improved their draft stock by, impro- by performances in March Madness in the biggest games of the year. I, I've, I've never watched a G League playoff game. I've, I've seen my fair share of Jimmer Fredette games when he was with the Westchester Knicks, but short of that, I've had no reason to go, not even to say uh, Langston Galloway, who was, uh, was pretty solid with the Knicks. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a value to that too. Uh, and, again, just playing devil's advocate – you know, there was a, p- a period of time with the Kobe Bryants, the Kevin Garnetts of the world were coming straight from high school. Yeah. Um, you know, people will argue, and I'm sure there's listeners to this podcast that just say, hey, let some guys go straight to, to high school. But it's weird for Adam Silver, who also, guys, controls the one-and-done rule. If he allowed – if he just allowed it to open that up, he got rid of that rule, um, there would be really no reason to have the G League, right? Guys, He just- controls it. He controls it, but he's got to get it into the, the CBA with the Players Association. And I think a lot of the – Think about it. If you're a veteran player, what do you not want? You don't want this rule where high school players can come in and take your job at the end of your career. And, and I, I don't understand it for anybody. I don't think it's beneficial for anybody. The kids, how many LeBrons are there? There's what? a Kwame Brown for every LeBron James. That's what I'm saying. There's two or three of those that aren't ready. And you're going to have more and more making mistakes now in this day and age than uh, 15 years ago. When, when LeBron was doing it, it's a different uh, day and age with social media where I think there's more information, more bad information out there. All it's going to take is uh, one agent telling these kids, hey, go, uh, you're going to be drafted, 
just, you know, go out of high school. So I, I, I do think, uh, you know, again, it's something that I agree to have the, the opportunity for these kids, but um, I'm with you. I mean, listen, the G League, uh, not the place where you want to be, but I think a lot of these kids see G League developmental attached to the NBA and they feel like they are closer to the NBA because of the name, because they're in the NBA developmental program than they are in college. They also see this too, Jeff. If, uh, for those on the podcast, I'm, uh, I'm making the show me the money sign. Yeah, no, you're, that's why you got to get cake out of here. But it could stand for the Green League. I mean, that's, that's, they're getting paid, you know, mid six figures, 250, 300, you know, uh, as has been reported. So no small chunk of change, especially when we're talking about a cap of like, in theory, right? I don't think it would shock you or I, Dan, anybody, if they put a $50,000, $25,000 cap on this because they keep saying we don't want these athletes to look like pros. So, that's going to be the interesting thing. That'll be the interesting thing with name, image, likeness. What what do they do? Do they try to cap it? They were saying in their in their conference call a couple months ago when they kind of announced this that there are there's not going to be a cap. I, I don't know if I believe that at the end of the day, but uh, if there's not, um, I, I just don't know if the NCAA is is able to handle all this and understand. Um, how to navigate it with guardrails instead of just saying, you know what? It's open guys. It's open season. Go get what you want. And then the schools have to figure out, obviously from a compliance standpoint, now uh, they got to hire compliance people at every school to try to figure out what are you doing every day? Are you getting paid $200 to go to this party on Friday night? Think about it. That, that's what kids are going to do, right? If you want, if you're running a party at Duke and you want to fill that, that, that up, Aren't you just going and offering any Duke player, hey, the whole team, I'll give each one of you 200 bucks or 100 bucks. Just stop by. All you got to do is come by for 10 minutes so we could say the whole team was here and we are going to pack it in. We're going to charge everybody 50 bucks to, you know, to, to walk in the door. Right? I mean, I'm going to that party. I don't know about yeah. anything. We all are. We all are. So, anyway, listen, uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on. You, you're doing great work. Um, Thanks for helping making some sense of, of the Zion situation because that is something that I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and a lot of headlines, as you said, that uh, are garnering attention that probably uh, shouldn't be. Um, Daniel Wallach, uh, Dan Lust, I hope I got it right, Daniel, Dan, uh, the two Dans, Conduct uh, Detrimental Podcast, check it out. Uh, how many episodes have you guys done now? Uh, we've uh, as a po- as conduct detrimental forty nine, but as Dan and I together, I think we're we're up to three. All right, all right. Uh, so well, we're a new we're a new team. My uh, my former co host is now the general counsel of the Tennessee Titans. So he <laughs> retired from the world of podcasting and has actually gone into real sports law. Uh, although Dan and I are in sports law, um, you know, our my my partner had a different career aspiration, and he's definitely big time now. But Dan is filling those shoes. Very effectively, and I think we have some great chemistry with one another uh, that I think the show is going to go on to new levels. His his mastery of social media, technology, we even have a guy running our social media. Uh, We we become much more professional than when Dan Worley and I were co-hosting Conduct Detrimental. We didn't know what we were doing. We're now a real podcast. Jeff, the former podcast guy was also Dan, so it's all in the Dan. Oh, my goodness. This is ridiculous. What is this, a requirement? You call it Dan detrimental at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, any, listen, any, any, 
Guys, yeah, we're, we're, doing we're, these week, we're doing these weekly now. In the past, it was so sporadic. I think Dan has kept me to a schedule that I didn't adhere to previously. No, I, I think you guys should. I think it's a great idea, as I said. Uh, it's something that I'll absolutely uh, have been checking out and will be checking out because uh, I think it makes all of us uh, further educated in matters that we, we are not. And uh, I encourage people to, to listen, and, and especially as a lot of – for me, I, I really want to hear your opinion, and we'll, we'll bring you back on, as a lot of the NCAA investigations. We saw Oklahoma State got hit with a postseason ban. I want to get you guys on as the new independent process for the NCAA starts to heat up and they get um, NC State and Memphis and some of these other schools in front. What does this mean? I think we need – uh, the first one to kind of go through before we we have some tangible information as to to what's going to come next. But again, uh, best of luck. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, uh, we'll do it again. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was a pleasure being on. It was really fun. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Stay safe and uh, take care. Got it. <laughs> bye bye now.